We met here this morning for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of a lot of things, not the least of which is prayer. So let's begin today, as we have done in the past several Sundays, with a moment of silent prayer. You you think about whatever you want to ask the Lord about, but certainly remember our country, remember Kim who had uh, surgery this week, hernia surgery, and is doing all right this morning, except he... Didn't think he could sit through the service since it just happened. And remember Leslie, she has that third surgery on her eye went well, so prayer of thanksgiving. And of course Alice and uh, many others that are on this uh, prayer list over here. So uh, get you a copy and use it, but let's now go to the Lord in silent prayer. Let us pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, now for announcements. This Wednesday we will not have our uh, our Wednesday night service, so uh, uh, instead, uh, be sure you get your copy of the prayer list and use it for our prayers. And also, uh, we won't have, of course, our Bible study. So we're going to cancel it because it's the day before Thanksgiving and and uh, Thanksgiving Eve, we generally don't have our service, but we'll resume the next Wednesday, of course. All right, now with reference to giving, I'm going to turn the chart again on once again. And uh, 
Our emphasis on the board is, of course, on the willingness as far as 2 Corinthians 8.12 is concerned. Uh, if you have a willingness, it's uh, accepted, as it says very clearly, uh, that uh, you can give in the privacy of your mind, whether you have anything to give or not. But then if you have something to give, uh, we emphasis on, on being a grudging giver. Don't give if you can't do it with the right mental attitude. So we have plates here. We have plates at the back. And if you're listening to us via the Internet or the podcast, you can certainly give by way of the mail, M-A-I-L. All right, now with that said, uh, let's uh, think a little bit about our music. We're going to have a, a song here. Uh, and uh, Ken, it's number 17. So I think, if not, we'll hear whatever comes up. But uh, I believe it's a duet. And uh, turn it up, if you will, make sure we can all hear on the Internet. So But uh, we're doing this, of course, as you know, to try to do what our authorities say, which is to not have singing, but... Uh, that seems to spread the virus, so we're told. And um, uh, being a pastor who believes in authority, we are just, here we go. Oh, 
I have said before, thank you, Joshua. <laughs> As I have said before, you know, our little black box here is like a box of chocolates. You know, you never know what you're going to get until you open it up. But uh, uh, that was a nice surprise, and uh, uh, <clears throat> it's good to hear from him. All right, now with uh, uh, all that said, our prayer, our announcements, our giving, our music. We're ready to go to our lesson, and this morning it's going to be uh, the doctrine of dispensation. We're at least going to begin it, and uh, we're going to uh, <clears throat> see how far we get. It's an important doctrine. In fact, I could say it's dedicated to my daughter because she was saying, you know, the very first thing you want to put on the the uh, podcast was uh, uh, the doctrine of dispensations because without dispensations, you can't understand the Bible. So I'm going to put a chart here on the board, and I've added a few things, so we're going to talk about that, but before we do, as is our custom, let's use 1 John 1, 9, as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to, to study your word. Now guide and direct us as we do acknowledge that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take a look then at the Doctrine of Dispensations, Part 1, for lack of a better term. By way of definition, a dispensation is a period of time in which God expresses a divine viewpoint of human history. God has chosen to divide time into segments, and everything on the dispensation chart will happen. And we have a dispensation chart, of course, in our lesson plan God has appointed agents or an agent to disseminate his revelations in each of the respective time segments. And I have uh, added some things on our our list up here uh, by way of placing a time period in terms of calendar time, both B.C. and then later A.D., uh, and there are definitely, of course, uh, the, the time elements are what we call circa, the best we can come up with without any grand certainty. 
Some of them are far more certain than others. But I'll use my laser show here uh, to uh, point out certain things. You've seen the dispensation chart. You know about the dispensation chart. You know the various ages that we have. Age 1, age of Israel, age of grace, tribulation, millennium. And we have some interim ages. But if we go over here to EP, that's eternity past. We have no idea how long that was, when it began or when it ended. But there was a time in eternity past before, of course, uh, the world began. Or even after the world began, certain things happened. Go to the doctrine of creation and you can read all about that and get the various conjectures. And you add that to the doctrine of evolution and you've got a nice package uh, that uh, can support your positions, whatever they might be. All right, now let's take a look uh, at Adam. Well, when did uh, Adam uh, appear? We have no idea, so that's why the question mark. And then we come down here to age one. We have innocence, we have the fall, and we have the flood. We have no idea about the first two, but we have a pretty good idea about the flood. That is to say, after looking at what various people have said and the analysis that they have and the comparisons of what other civilizations have seen, approximately five, again, 5,000 B.C. The K, of course, standing for a 1,000, so 5,000 B.C. Now, as far as Abram is concerned, later to be known as Abraham, uh, that was in approximately 2000 uh, B.C., and then we come down here to when Moses wrote, uh, we, we have a controversy there. It's either 1250 or it's 1450. It depends on the Egyptian kings that you select as to whether they were uh, this king or that king. But roughly, and, and I have chosen to select the, the, the uh, 14500, in other words, 1450 years before uh, our arrival. Uh, our Lord. So 12.5K. Now then we have, of course, the kingdom age. Christ came, as best we could tell, 4 B.C., given the when Augustus made his pronouncements and so forth. Though to, to rough it out, you could say 1, you know, A.D. But in any case, 4 B.C. is generally accepted when he came. And we have the cross approximately 30, 32 A.D. Uh, he was 30 years of age in his... Ministry lasted three years, so we put together, and we have approximately 32 A.D., of course. Uh, and then we know as a certainty about 70 A.D., because there's so much history written about it, both in the Book of Maccabees and also the Josephus uh, and other historical records by various early church uh, writers. And then we have the church age. Nobody knows about the church age. You know, as to how long it's going to be. The little interim age here, of course, is when the Lord was on the face of the earth in His ministry, and that was about three years. Then we have, of course, uh, the rapture. We don't know when the rapture uh, will come take place, and that will begin the tribulation. And since we don't know when it's going to take place, we have to put a question mark there. And the same then with the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, since we know He's got seven years, and then He comes back. But when did the seven years happen? All right, then we, of course, have the, the uh, millennium. And uh, uh, we have no idea about a time there because it hadn't happened yet. Well, clearly, uh, those are interesting additions to our dispensation chart, which is in your lesson plan. 
Now, in addition to that, we will get to it in a minute. Uh, we are all saved the same way, faith alone in Christ alone. Some of us on that timeline were saved because they were looking forward to the coming of Christ. Others, of course, at Christ. And others, of course, back at Christ. But we'll see more of that as we proceed. All right, now let's continue on. Uh, our uh, uh, human history may be classified into five major and seven minor dispensations. These can be grouped into three categories of two dispensations each. That is the theocentric, the Christocentric, and the eschatological. All right, the theocentric consists of the age of the Gentiles and the thus the uh, well and the age of Israel. Each of which occurred before God spoke to us through His Son, uh, ergo, that is, thus they are pre-incarnate. Alright, let's take a look at a scripture, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and then verse 2 bespeaks of the fact of Christ, how superior He was to angels. This is one of the scriptures that leads us to believe in an angelic conflict. And I'm going to read verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 1. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, uh, that would be, of course, around 68 A.D., He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. All right, then we have, of course, as we speak to the Christocentric, which consists of the kingdom age and the church age. And I'll point that out again on our... uh, our chart with our laser. We have, of course, the Christocentric. Of course, the kingdom age itself is when Christ was upon the face of the earth. And uh, and then we have, of course, our church age as those which are Christocentric because Christ was functioning here on earth and over here, of course, through the church. And then we have another date here. 96 A.D. is when the canon was completed and that was, of course, the writing the book of the Revelation by John while he was on the Isle of Patmos. All right, now let's go to the eschatological dispensations. They consist of the tribulation and the millennium. We get our word eschatological from the word eschatos in the Greek, which means the last, uh, and of course when you add days to it, the last days. Alright, now it's important to understand that biblical revelation falls into these well-defined periods. The timeline is God's clock for His history. And it will all happen. There's, that's a certainty. What's on that dispensation chart is going to happen. Be rem- or has happened. Be reminded it is Jesus Christ who controls history. And though we are responsible for our choices... The choices were anticipated and our very own spiritual life developed. In other words, how could you and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you? Again, First Thessalonians 5.18, if he did, you didn't know he had a plan for your life. And you, how could you say in all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, unless you believed that he saw the timeline and he had you personally in mind and he developed a perfect plan for your life. Though it may not seem to you that it's perfect, it is perfect. And that's our responsibility to trust him and be grateful. And that's why we have thanksgiving. For gratitude, grateful for the things that God has provided for us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. 
Alright, and, and all the in-between. Okay. Alright, so recognition and understanding of the dispensations of God will facilitate an understanding of God's Word. God has chosen in His omniscience to reveal Himself differently in His designated segments of time. And they're called either dispensations or ages. And sometimes, as we'll see, that word ion or aion is also translated world. So what might be true for one dispensation may not be appropriate for another dispensation. So I'm going to call your attention again to the uh, chart and uh, just think about it for a minute. How did the people in this series of ages down here, they're just described as age one, how did they get saved? They got saved because they looked forward to, to the coming of Christ. Alright, how did these people in the age of Israel, patriarchs, Moses, etc., well, they looked forward to the coming of Christ. And of course, Christ being right here, coming in approximately again, as noted, 1 AD or 6 or 4 BC, depending upon who you listen to or, 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 uh, see. Uh, not that you'll see it, but you may see it in a book. Pardon me. We don't want anybody to have visions around here. Alright, now then we've got uh, uh, this particular age right here is a little different because now how were they saved? How were all the kingdom age saints saved? Well, they were saved by looking at Him. So we've got, they're looking forward at to, to Him, looking forward to Him, and then looking at Him right here in the kingdom age because He's on the earth. They could see Him, see His miracles, listen to Him, etc., now, how about, of course, in the church age? Now we have another change because we're looking back at Him. But salvation is always the same. Faith alone in Christ alone. Now we go to the tribulation. They're looking back at Him in the tribulation period. But now we go to the millennium. What's going to happen? What's going to be like the kingdom age? Because He's going to be on earth. He's going to have His kingdom. He's going to be there in Jerusalem. So we, they look at Him. So we have them looking at Him here. And we have him looking at him here. And of course in the tribulation they look back at him just like we do. So those that's how you get saved. Now let's get a point or two about all that. So what might be true in one dispensation may not be appropriate for another as we have just described with reference to salvation. So in every age there are differences but there are also inexorable axioms which are sacrosanct. For example, in every age, the salvation mechanics are the same. Faith alone in Christ alone. Genesis fifteen six, And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, that is, believed in him coming, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Or Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Again, looking forward to his coming. And then in Acts 16.31, we have a little different situation. Notice, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So again, they were looking back at him. That's the, on the second missionary journey where Paul and Silas were in prison. And the doors opened and the jailer was afraid. And he said, What must I do to be saved in the One of them said, I suspect, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then, of course, Romans 3, 22, 23, and 24. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all upon all them that believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. All right, so faith alone in Christ alone, that's the, the way it may be looking at him to come, or it may be looking at him, or it may be looking uh, back at him. So in every age, there is only one Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. The believer may be looking toward the coming of the Messiah, at the Messiah, or back at the crucified Lord. Scripture 2, John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall be, because I go unto my Father. We had an extensive study of that, you remember, uh, at the Wednesday night service. Then Act 14, 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Alright, God reveals Christ in many ways through the ages, but faith in Him is the only way of eternal salvation. Now the English words uh, age or ages in the plural are often found in the New Testament or often than not ages in Scripture refer to a dispensation and often eon or aeon, the Greek word for age is mistranslated world. Uh, let's take a look at Ephesians 2, 7. Again, a gospel account, I mean, excuse me, a, 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 an account to the church. Uh, it says, then that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. A reference to ages to come, dispensations to come, when he will fulfill more of that which was predicted while he was, of course, in his uh, earthly appearance, the hypostatic union. All right, Ephesians 3, 5, which in other ages are dispensations, was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Completely new situation. Completely new age. Completely uh, uh, changed given the fact that it is now revealed unto his holy apostles. Which of course the apostles were the, the twelve disciples minus Judas Iscariot plus Paul. All right, then Ephesians 3, 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages or dispensations past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And you can look at your chart and see what about, what were those dispensations past? Well, they're right there on the chart. Then in, again, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the ages. Alright, so in the Bible, ages are often distinguished by their differing protocols. For example, John 1.17, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Alright, or Luke 16.16, 16, 
the law and the prophets were until John. But since John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed into it. Alright, Matthew five twenty one and 22. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell. So compare the protocols described in uh, the Lord's platform, which is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 and verses 7, uh, to the protocols described in such scriptures as... See the difference. And I've talked to you about the differences about the gospel as is set forth by the Lord Jesus uh, in the gospel accounts as compared to the epistles to the church. Let's just look how it's different because you've all seen the platform that he set forth. you got to do this. you got to do that. You can't do this. you got to do this. you got to do that. You can't do these things, etc. But it changed all of a sudden when we got to the epistles to the church. All right, and we'll see more about that in a minute. We have some historical examples that help us understand. But Acts 16.31, we've already seen that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then Galatians 3.11.12 and 13. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Notice how that is so different from again the platform of the Lord Jesus Christ as set forth again in Matthew chapter 5 verses 6 and verse, I'm sorry chapter 5 chapter 6 and chapter 7 all right and the law is not of faith but the man that doeth them shall live in them Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree and then we have those wonderful verses in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, reading through verse 9. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, not by keeping the platform of Christ, but again, by faith alone in Christ alone. Notice, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The last two verses of chapter 2, if you will, of the book of Galatians. <clears throat> Alright, an understanding of dispensations then is a must. You've already seen uh, much of the problem because you have the large platform, then you have faith alone and Christ alone is the way. 
you have the statements in the law. If you do this in the law, you're going to be, you know, right with God. And then you have all of a sudden, no, it's just faith alone in Christ alone. So there are differences. And uh, some people recognize it, recognize it more than others. I know Mahatma Gandhi, I've told you this story before. I read his life story and I enjoyed it very much. He was a great man, great leader in India, a Hindu. And uh, he, of course, uh, was the same guy who said, you know, uh, he was very much against British rule because they were ruling and dominating India. Uh, he wanted to be done with pacifism. Uh, in other words... Uh, Let's all just lay down in front of the train, you know, and so forth. And it was effective. But by the same token, the man said on more than one occasion, uh, we have to be very careful because when the British leave, I'm so afraid that there's, there are Muslims here, there are Catholics here, and there are Hindus here. And the Muslims and the Hindus cannot get along. And so there'll be a war. And there was a conflagration like you've never seen in India. The man was a prophet, just killing one another right and left. And in fact, remember, that's how Bangladesh was formed. You know, that little Muslim enclave in the middle of India. And we finally had to get our good old Air Force to fly over there and drop them supplies because the Hindus were starving them to death and pleased as heck that they were starving. And then, of course, we have Kashmir today. There's military lined up on one side of Kashmir, Indians on one side. And uh, Muslims on the other, and they're just waiting to kill one another. Uh, and so Gandhi was right. But Gandhi said something else, more important to our context. And that is, to, he said, you know, I would have been a Christian if I only had been able to see just what Christ said. But when Paul came and started talking about believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Uh, all that grace stuff, you know, he said. I can't be a Christian. Now, I can do all the things Christ said to do. I can be perfect. I'm like, you know, quite arrogant. But uh, I can do all these things. Very arrogant that Christ said to do. And of course, none of us can do those things, you know, but he believed he could. And so he said, I'd have been a Christian if we hadn't had what Paul, you know, and John and James, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, said in the epistles. So a very interesting case study, if you will, uh, and uh, interesting uh, to the extent both the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, now let's go on. The wrath of God so vividly displayed in the Old Testament. Now, these scriptures clearly refer to the age of the Gentile and the age of Israel proper. They morph, however, into mercy and grace in the kingdom age and the church age. So the protocol of God may not be the same for every age. For example, Isaiah and Micah speak about a protocol appropriate for when the Lord returns at his second advent as the protector of his people. And Joel speaks of attitude and futile action on the part of the unbelievers who arrived for the last battle of Armageddon. All right, let me read you a bit of Scripture here. Isaiah 2, 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against the nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And of course, that was for another age. Edwards for an age when Christ comes back and he takes care of everybody. Not for today. Uh, because uh, all these uh, uh, bills that are passed, you know, that say we're going to get rid of our military. I remember old John Tower was used to quote this scripture 
little John, he's about that being a senator. And uh, he kept saying, you know, we've got to have, you know, more restriction of arms. We need to get rid of our arms, you know. And the Democrats were saying, we want more restriction than the Republicans are offering, you know. And they all argued over, get rid of the military. Nobody needs the military. Well, you need the military when the enemy comes, for sure. Hopefully you can deter them by being strong, as we know from our doctrine of war. All right. And he shall judge among the nations and rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. You beat them into plowshares, now you're in trouble. But that was, of course, a reference to when Christ comes back. All right, now Micah 4.3. See, another dispensation. And he shall judge among many people, Micah 4.3, and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up Sword against nation, now they shall they learn war any more. Alright, and certainly we've had no short, shortage of wars, have we not, in time. And in fact, uh, we have endless wars, uh, as well as wars that are successful in terms of the intent for which they were begun. But war, 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 war. Go to my doctrine of war and uh, look at it. It's on the internet. You can find it, of course, under Pastor Merritt's study books. Now let's take a look at Joel chapter 3 verse 10 and 11. Again, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. So scripture must therefore be studied in categories. That is to say, by subject, we must look and see if the protocol changed as the scripture evolved. An acronym has been developed to help us understand the concept. It is called ICED in the past tense because I've added the D for dispensations. Colonel Theme came up with the ICE. And this is a chart. And I'm going to read you what I stands for. Acronym. The I stands for introduction, meaning those facts which introduce historical nuances and background information about the book, the author, and the historical setting. That's how you study. You begin with this little history of what the book's about and to whom it is written. Then the C stands for categories, meaning that study of a subject found throughout the Bible as opposed to as an eclectic approach. All right, so you look and you see what the entire Bible says, for example, about giving. You look what the entire Bible says about uh, tithing, etc., etc., and uh, you study it as a category. And then the E stands for exegesis, meaning a critical analysis of the Bible performed from a study of the original language using the best manuscripts available. All right, then the D, the one I added, which is our doctrine. The D stands for dispensation, meaning that analysis of the biblical passage or passages given the epoch to which the scriptures relate. All right, uh, while God himself does not change, he has in his omniscience elected to give varying instructions, and by the way, responsibilities, which are, as to their primary application, limited to a given period, a given age, a given dispensation. For example, all right, let's see what we've got here. Only on the next page, only those portions of scriptures that are directly addressed to the child of God under grace in what we call the church age are to be given, as far as we're concerned, primary application. For example, 
We are not to give church age rules to Israel and uh, certainly vice versa. Uh, in other words, you, for example, I guess the, the grandest example, the most obvious example, there was no Jew until the 12th, till uh, again the third chapter, uh, of the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis, verses 1, 2, and 3. And that was when the first Jew came upon the scene. So if you're trying to make the Old Testament before the, you find out there is a Jew, you, you'll be in error, of course. So, uh, again, when Abraham got up across the river, he became the first, uh, Jew. So that was just one obvious example. Uh, if there are no Jews, you don't want to make the mistake of going back there in the Old Testament and saying, well, this is for the Jew. Or the Jew only, you know. Uh, or, uh, where you find the word Israel, substitute, this is what a certain group of people have done. Go back to the Old Testament and where you find Israel, just insert church. Which is foolish. But there are people who have done that. Which is, of course is in error. Alright, now let's go on. All such uh, primary instructions, uh, the church age is to perform in detail when we see this in our epistles. It's for us. And the others, we have to be careful. We have to look and understand dispensations. And we can get secondary application, of course, but not necessarily primary as I have previously taught. So it should be observed, observed there are spiritual lessons to be drawn from every portion of the Bible. We're studying, for example, at Wednesday night about Daniel. Wonderful example of how Daniel represented himself. And, and uh, the king, of course, uh, had the vision and he came up with the analysis of the vision and what it meant. And the old boy was so tickled after he got through because everything he said uh, happened. And he also recovered from, again, his bout with, with animalistic, if you will, uh, problems, thinking he was uh, uh, a... Uh, Animal, he went out into the, you'll remember, and ate the grass of the field and so forth and so forth. I don't want to get myself away because we're going to do some more of that on Wednesday night. Not this Wednesday night, but the next Wednesday night. Alright, so it should be there are spiritual lessons to be drawn from every portion of the Bible. We will see numerous such examples later, but just to whet our appetites. In the millennium, there are some obvious protocols which, if embraced, apart from a dispensational understanding, could prove very dangerous for the present church-age saint. Notice Isaiah 11, 6 and 7. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Think on that one. I look at Isaiah 2, 4. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Remember the episode with Chamberlain, who was in charge of Great Britain, and wanted to uh, give Hitler... All those various countries, because he'll never come to England. Uh, he's such a sweet little, I'll Hitler, I'll Hitler, you know. And uh, he was a jerk, a satanic-inspired jerk. And, of course, he did come to England. And what happened? It took America. 
uh, coming over and saying, you know, we're going to show you how the cow ate the cabbage. And, uh, of course, they have been, uh, they were in trouble for so long after that because they had taken Israel and abused them. And when you mess with Israel, you're in trouble. So every nation that wants to prosper, read it. It's in, again, the book of Genesis, but more of that later on. Now let's go. Alright, since we depend entirely upon the Word of God for our instructions, and since the principles imposed in the various dispensations are so diverse, and even at times seemingly contradictory, it is important that we recognize those portions that directly apply to us. If we are to realize the will of God for our life, we must then understand which portions of Scripture have primary and which have secondary application. Let's review the various ages and their similarities and commonalities. All right, here we go. Age one, the Gentile age. And remember our chart up there. That's why I left it up there. The Gentile age. Right there. All right, that's age one. And you can see it has innocence before the fall, then the fall, then we had the flood. And then we, of course, had finally the Jews selected. But age one is here. All right, now let's see what we can learn from it. Age one, the Gentile age. Let us see if we can learn a little about the concept of primary and secondary application by taking a look at the first sub-age. The age of our sub-age of innocence. This first dispensation is said to begin with the creation of man. Genesis 2-7 and Genesis 2-21 through 24 and end with the fall of man, Genesis 3-6. Notice, and I shall read, Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. All right, Genesis 2.22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto man. And that's why she's called Ish-ah. Ish is the word in Hebrew for man. Ish-ah means out from man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And Genesis 3, 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So in this age man was responsible for being fruitful subduing the earth, having dominion over the animals, using vegetables for food, and caring for a place called Eden. Genesis 2.15 And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now much of that which occurred we understand, but certainly only in part because the garden and innocence are foreign to us. But to attempt to make direct application in our life Uh, The instructions given Adam and Eve is impossible. Therefore, innocence as an age makes for a good teaching tool. Though there is no direct application to the church age, that is the church age saint, the church age believer in the age of innocence, there is significant secondary application in many truths appropriate for us. 
Let's look at a few secondary principles taught in this unique little sub-age, which is called by many the Age of Innocence. All right, there was one prohibition given to man in that beautiful garden. You may not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.17 But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Alright, as church age saints we learn from Genesis 2.17 that volition, that is the first of the four divine institutions, you'll remember volition, marriage, family, and nationalism. <coughs> he left in perfect environment a, mech- a mechanism for exercising our free will. People need then to be free to choose, that is, free to choose Christ or reject Christ. We learn that in perfect environment, man does not need either sin or human good. Grace and human good are mutually exclusive. In this age of innocence, God introduces us to the principle of grace with the promise of a Redeemer. You'll find that in Genesis 3.15. God provides to fallen man coats of skin typical of the provision of the redemptive sacrifice to come. Genesis 3.21. And you'll remember the story uh, where uh, for the very first time uh, after the fall when God asked him what had happened and they tell him, uh, he said, well, we're going to have to do something about that. You know, because you're now fallen. You're fallen creatures. And they were, of course... Uh, kicked out of the garden, but he says we are going to make a, we're going to have a mechanism for you to get back into the quote garden close quote back into my grace, and that is to say through the blood of an animal, and they of course had never seen the blood of an animal. They've been very vegetarians, and all of a sudden he said I'll be back in a minute, and uh, you guys just stay right here, will you? And uh, he went off, and all of a sudden they heard ee ee ee. Oh my gosh, said Eve and Adam. What is that noise? He said, when he came back, he had a bloody coat. And of course, uh, he said, you have to put it on, both of you. Eve, you put it on. Adam, you put it on. And the blood, excuse me, sir, you put, uh, uh, you, you are being covered now by Christ whose blood will be shed. And this is representative of your, the blood. The bloody coat that he put on, that they put on. And see, there was a teaching aid, Christ to come. Now they were saved by believing what God said. They could have said, take that dead gum coat and get out of here. That was my favorite animal, jerk. And uh, God would have said, you ain't saved anymore, boy. You never were saved and you're not saved now. But you have to put it on. It's descriptive. It's like me saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And on and on and on and on. That was basically the same. But it was used to describe what's going to happen in the future. Again, an illustration of in that age, they're looking forward to the coming of Christ, and that's how they are saved. All right, so and Adam also unto his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothed them. All right, the principle of right woman being brought to the right man and his completer is taught. Oh, interesting. Is that the way it works? That's the way it's supposed to work. All right, Genesis 2, 20, 21, 22, and 23. 
This is when Adam was told to go out and name all the animals, you know. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And for Adam there was not found any help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken, Isha, out of man. So the need for the right man and right woman to come together as one is taught in this age. Both soul and physical oneness are taught. Genesis 2.24 Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So the need to support one another, even against the future attacks of in-laws, is taught in this first dispensation. This was long in advance of there being any such human genre of in-laws. Alright, so you see in a dispensation there may be a little primary application for us, but ample secondary application. For example, Matthew 5.40, salvation is a product of looking forward to the coming of the Lord and After the fall, the blood of the animal was symbolic of the blood of Christ and the animal skin represented a covering ergo and atonement for our sins. So they were brought together and told to stick stick with one another, you know, and to leave their father and mother. That's for they had a father and mother. But he's preparing them as a principle. You are to cleave to your wife, you are to cleave to your husband, and you are to certainly take care of your parents when they are in need, but... As far as an emotional attachment, forget it. Your emotional attachment is with your husband. Your emotional attachment is with your wife, etc. All right, now let's go on. The age of innocence, like all dispensations, began with man being placed in a divinely appointed position of privilege and blessing and ends with the failure of man resulting in the judgment from God. Let me go ahead and read again, if you will. I know you're familiar with it, but... And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Wow. See, at the fall, they began to know good and evil. Don't don't just say evil. See, we usually think it means sin and evil. No, it means good and evil. You don't need to know that. You need to be taught that, what it is. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Can't have that. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life, so they wouldn't be able to go back. All right, uh, now uh, basically we are over the, the intro, and we're also now over that first stage. Now let's go to the age of Israel, the Jewish age. We'll just start it in the... Uh, won't get very far, so it'll be a good starting point for next week. But let's go ahead and get a little bit into it so you can be thinking about it when you're sitting, laying in your bed and you're concerned about something because what's going to happen to our country, you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, you can understand that God is in charge. He's the man what's in charge. And you're to pray for him and you're to do what you're told. That's called authority. And uh, we're going to have to probably use a lot of that Maybe. Who knows? 
Here we go, age of Israel, Jewish age. Now let's continue our study of the two theocentric dispensations by looking at the age of Israel, or as a better term, the age of Israel proper. As can be seen from our dispensation chart, the age of Israel, or Jewish age, as is often called, has a very important sub-age called the kingdom age, a period of time when Jesus becomes the God-man and presented his kingdom to Israel. God elected Israel as his special people when he called Abram, later to be named Abraham, out of the land of the Chaldeans. Specifically, God asked him to leave the city of Ur. That word Ur, by the way, you can see in the map that I provided for you, uh, is the Hebrew word for city. You are anglicized. Ur on the Euphrates River. You can see it coming out of the Persian Gulf. That's where a lot of problems are today. You have the Tigris and the Euphrates, and then it splits. And seek a promised land. It is important to note, God said, leave your family in the apostate land of Chaldea and follow my instructions. Genesis 3.22. He was given instructions to leave his family and go to the promised land. Could have crossed over very easily, as you can see there. Look where the Persian Gulf is. He just could have crossed over the desert and come right into the promised land. But because he didn't follow God's instructions... Dang on it, you gotta do what's in the scripture. You gotta follow God's instruction. You don't wanna rationalize it. You don't wanna not take it up in your mind from the printed page. But instead he had to go all the way up into Mesopotamia. You can see all the way up to Haran and stop at Haran until the family had died. So now you can go to the promised land because I'll just take over for you. You wouldn't do what you were told. You would leave the idol worshippers back there. But uh, So I'm just going to make it a little harder for you. And we'll see who lived in the promised land in a minute by way of chart. And uh, uh, I think it's probably appropriate at this point in time to, uh, to stop. Uh, to stop at least this study and instead move to an to a, uh, invitation. Because uh, that's part of the reason why we're left here in time and this is the church age to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got a podcast now and we've had for some time uh, a website where uh, you can see the, the uh, Word of God and you can hear the way of salvation. And I try to do that each and every time we have a service. And so with your head bowed and your eye closed, I appreciate that. And... Uh, you think about uh, what I'm going to say. Uh, tell God that you know that there may be people out there that are without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. But there is a way of salvation. I am the way, as I've said earlier. And I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh from the Father except by me. And who is me? It's the one who's always been. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word which God, same was God, and God was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why, He came unto His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on His name. Faith alone in Christ alone. We hear a lot of talk about how you get saved and all the things you've got to do. Well, the main thing you've got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to jump through any psychological hoops. You don't have to tell God, God, I'm not going to do that anymore. No, 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 no. You don't even have to walk an aisle. But simply faith alone 
in Christ alone. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the the mind, we of course serve the law of God, as Paul said, but the flesh, the law of sin. But there is therefore now no condemnation, said Paul, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. So snuggle up to Him. And how do you do that? You just simply tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son. And now you are family. You are family of God. Join heirs with Christ. So wherever you are, whatever you are doing, just believe and thou shalt be saved. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of living in the United States of America. We do ask a very special blessing upon our country. And we ask that you would protect us, guide us, and direct us. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.